Sometimes in church you use words you don't use anywhere else, like under-shepherd. I love that word. Thank you, Jane. I whispered it to my wife, um, Amy, I'm an under-shepherd. And she said, it's sort of like underwear, but different. <clears throat> Thanks for keeping me grounded, sweetheart. Uh, let me show you a picture as we get started today. This is a picture taken in 1908. And somewhere in that picture, um, I found this uh, through uh, some historical photo archives online, is my grandfather, who was born in 1906. He was born in India to uh, parents from Germany who were missionaries in the very, very southern tip of India, this little town called Nagarkoil, which means uh, serpent's temple. And they were there for about a dozen years, 10 to 12 years. And whenever it is, I think about my own sense of ministry, my own call. What, what am I doing here as the under-shepherd? How did this happen to me? I trace those roots uh, not to my grandfather, but to my great-grandfather and great-grandmother. We think that's uh, at least her with my grandfather. Um, we think maybe that's also my great-grandfather, but we can't find any other pictures of him to be sure. Now, because I think of that as my roots, what, what would be just a natural thing that I might decide to do sometime in my life? Go visit. Go be there. Go invest a little time in the place where I, I think of as so important to my own story. And as it turns out, uh, later this spring, it'll be the first thing that I do on my sabbatical as I, I head to Nagarcoil. And I visit the seminary that my great-grandfather started, uh, helped to start. And there are at least two churches that are still worshiping that he helped to plant in the early 1900s. Now that question of how do we, a very human question, how do we connect with something that feels so important and part of our identity is, in a certain way, the opening way we can ask ourselves today's question. How are we supposed to live this life in the Spirit? How are we supposed to live this life that God has called us into and has now filled us with his very self. I want you to listen for it while Deb DuPont, one of our elders, comes up and she uh, reads it aloud for us. So let me encourage you to, we're going to walk through this passage. Go ahead and pull that Bible in front of you, page 943, I think, um, and just keep it open on your lap throughout um, this morning's teaching. So our passage is from Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. It's been our custom throughout this series to open this time with a simple lighting of a candle, praying for the Lord's Illumination for us all. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a, is a lamp to our feet. It shows us the way. You allow yourself to be understood by this simple analogy of flame and fire and light. So, Lord, we ask today that you would do in our hearts those things. Would, would we find our hearts warmed by you today? Would we find the darkest corners of our lives illumined and lit up by you today? Would we see that there is a path forward by your word today? Would you give us hope? by the light of your words today. Lord, we stand ready for you to do something with your word that no preacher could do by himself or herself. We thank you in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, we are friends on week seven of an eight-week series on the Holy Spirit. And can I just say, I just become increasingly uh, certain that we've not spent nearly enough time on the Holy Spirit. So here's the good news about that. That's always going to be true. No matter how long we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's never going to be enough. But the good news is, Whenever we gather around the Word or in worship and in prayer, 
The Spirit is there. We never, also, we never have to stop talking about the Spirit because the Spirit hovers in and through all of our work together. Our lives are breathed back into a holy existence because of the Holy Spirit. So let me see if I can walk you through some of the way this has been organized, because maybe it's possible you've missed a couple, or sometimes we're too clever by half, and we realize not everyone can follow the train of the argument. And what we said at the very beginning as we worked our way through this series is we wanted us to know just something about the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars, but a person. And that person is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's God's triune in that way. And also what we see in the Scriptures themselves is that the, um, the Holy Spirit is also well, metaphorically like the wind, uncontrollable, will go where it wants, will blow where it pleases. And we are invited, like a, like a boat actually, to, to catch the Spirit and move in the direction of the Spirit. Then we spend several weeks talking about what the Spirit actually does in us as persons, as individuals. The Holy Spirit calls us as saints. When we are in this Spirit, we, we are, um, not because of our work, but because of the work of Jesus Christ in the Spirit, we are, we are considered holy ones. And we can be confident of what happens just on the other side of the veil of death. We said one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us is it convinces us. It convicts us of our sin. We begin to see our life in a different light, not a life that's, not a light that's self-justifying or self-focused. But we find ourselves now sort of sitting under the light of Christ where we can see where we've gone astray. Then we said that the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. That we begin to see the things that are around us, not just the things internally, with a, with a new perspective. We can see that the Holy Spirit is transforming our imaginations and renewing our mind in view of God's mercies. Then last week, uh, Dave Palmer did a really excellent job on short notice of reminding us what it means for us to, to walk in step with the Spirit, not in step with the things of the flesh, our own desires. And when we walk in step, we find ourselves exhibiting some of these external fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Both last week and this week, especially, and next week, we start turning more and more to well, what happens, what happens out in the world? The Holy Spirit, what we've been saying, has done an internal and an eternal work on you. If you've said yes to Christ, and the Holy Spirit has done an internal and an eternal work on you, you're never the same. Now we get to figure out how do we live that out. What is true of us externally? What does an external life in the Spirit look like? Because of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit has done, what, what happens now around us? How does a life in the Spirit get lived out in the world? That's the question. What does it look like? What does it feel like? 
And in a certain way, you could say the entire New Testament is an exploration of that question. Because Paul is out seeking to live Christ. He's seeking to live ministry, seeking to do the work. And we have all these things to ponder. But I want to share just this passage today from Acts chapter 8. I love this passage. It is the passage that I go to over and over and over again whenever I have a new staff person. Since I first started in high school youth ministry as a director, whenever I had an intern or a new set of leaders, we would walk our way through this passage. I don't know if Christians or pastors are supposed to do this, but if I had a top 20 list of Bible passages, this would be on it. Because it answers that question. If we are in the Spirit, how do we live out in the world? And I know you're thinking, this is a ministry question, and I'm not in ministry. That's, that's like Jane's job. And I guess yours too, Eric, but I'm not in ministry. Friends, you are. We even said it together in our call to worship. All of us now are called to testify and witness to the person and hope of Jesus Christ. You have my job. You have my job. I don't have yours, but you have mine. It's been said that the only people who will not have a redeemed job in heaven are pastors. This is your story, too. And I want to walk you through it slowly, bit by bit, as you think about your own life of living in the Spirit. And here's the first thing that I want to say about this passage. As we think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, what is in here for me? How is this a pattern for our lives? And here's the first thing I want to point out to you. Follow the prompt. Follow the prompt. I had an eighth grade health teacher named uh, Mr. Thornley. His first name was Rod. Everyone called him Rod. He hated it, but he kind of accepted it. And as a health teacher, it was always sort of his thing to, um, you know, give us those life skills that a lot of other teachers forgot to give us. And one of those things was just always follow the instructions. And by way of illustration, a couple times a year, he would give us a, a quiz or an exam, and we knew it was coming, and it had all the, whatever the topic was, you know, drugs or human sexuality or um, study skills, whatever. And it would say, read the instructions before you do anything else. It's usually like three or four pages, lots of stuff, fill in the blanks. And usually on the back page, somewhere, it would say something like, circle all the vowels in this question and turn your exam in for 100%. And many people wouldn't get to that question until there were like three minutes left. What he's trying to say is just simply follow the prompt. Do what you're invited to do. Do the things that you feel prompted and instructed to do. And in a way that's much more important than an eighth grade health exam, Philip here simply follows 
the prompt. He's already been sort of um, pushed outside of Jerusalem. He's already been doing some ministry, and now he's walking. An angel of the Lord told him to sort of start walking on this road, and, and he does. And he gets this really weird prompt. Go stand by that guy. And the Ethiopian eunuch is, has a chariot, which we mean, notes we know he's really wealthy. Probably actually means he has a number of other attendants to help with things like horses and luggage and all those other kinds of things. There's a, so there's a lot of people. And he gets prompted. Go, go stand by that guy. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a moment where you just have this, this urge to do something that just feels completely out of character? Maybe it's uh, one time you're at the grocery store and you see this, this headline um, on some magazine. This has happened to me. And you don't ever really comment on those stories, and certainly not out loud. And I just felt like, say this thing out loud. Loud enough for her to hear the person in front of me in line. I was like, surely not, Lord. Burn. Okay. Maybe you felt it when you know you needed to go call your estranged brother. Maybe there's been a time when you just had this strong feeling you needed to linger in the front yard with one of your neighbors. Maybe there's been a time at work when you take this totally roundabout way to get back to your office after grabbing a cup of coffee, and you did it. And you have the most amazing interaction with someone. So the first thing when it comes to living the life, is to, is to follow the prompt. Learn to listen to and then obey the, 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 the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's going to be hard, friends, when we do this, because here's why. We, we often, sometimes the Spirit is going to, maybe even often, ask us to do something that feels personally risky to us. We have to call our brother. We have to say the awkward thing. We have to look like the social weirdy one. But friends, you have the Spirit. You're already in the kingdom. There's no weirdness there. Yes, Lord? <laughs> the Spirit of God who's in you loves you. He wants to do what's actually a blessing in your life. He wants your, your character and your imagination and your behavior and your belief to, to shift toward godly ways of thinking and doing. And the only way that happens is if you follow the prompt. When I first started doing uh, high school ministry in Gig Harbor, Washington, um, I often would have a Bible study with uh, some boys in the, in the morning. We'd have some breakfast and we'd check in and then I'd drive them to school. And whenever I did that, I always saw this group of guys and, and girls kind of down in the woods a little bit, away from the school. They're all dressed in black and black dyed hair, and they were all like smoking like a living Christmas tree. 
And the Lord said, go be with them. And I said, surely not, Lord. And what he said to me is, if you love teenagers the way you think you do, if you love what I've made in the way that I've told you to, you'll go. So, a couple weeks later, I finally agreed with the Holy Spirit. I followed the prompt, and I dropped off these uh, two junior boys, and I pulled into the parking lot, and I walked down to them, and I said, hey, my name's Eric. I see you guys here all the time. I just want to introduce myself. And they said, hey. They shook my hands, talked, had some small talk. I patted myself on the back, and I walked away. I followed the prompt, but I failed in the second step. The next step beyond following the prompt is to follow their lead. Follow their lead. See, what we see here in the scriptures in this moment is um, Philip, he's, he's followed this prompt. He's, he's like put himself awkwardly standing next to all these other things and probably even guards and, and an Ethiopian eunuch. And he simply just then does this. As he, as he observes and he listens, he asks this simple question. Do you understand what it is that you are reading? He just asks a simple question. See, what Philip knows and what we can sometimes forget is this, is the um, ministry is relational. The, the one we follow is relational. It wants to be some sort of an interaction. Ministry, as a result, is never going to be forced or coerced or coercive or self-seeking. And what we see here from Philip is just a simple desire to initiate a question. Let's, let's see what's actually going on with them. Do you understand, he asks. And in interactions and the places where we're prompted to go, we, we can do something similar. What is that like? Is there a spiritual way to think about that question? How can this burden become lighter? And just see what ends up happening. Too often when we think about seeking to help someone grow in their faith, we, we turn them into a project. In fact, that's what I had done with this living chimney. Just go do my thing. But what we see here, actually, is that ministry is never a project. It's simply sort of open-ended relationship. Because here's the thing that I want you to know and to recognize. It doesn't say it in the passage here exactly, but it says it in lots of other places in the New Testament. See, all we know is kind of from the inside of Philip's life. But what Philip knows is the Holy Spirit is also at work in the eunuch's life. And we often forget that. 
If, if someone crosses your path, if, if the Lord is prompting you to do something that feels a little weird, it's, it's not because of you, it's because of the other person. The Holy Spirit has also been weaving and working and preparing them to, to have this interaction. The Holy Spirit is like wind, not just for you, but for us all. And so the task that Philip takes on for himself is just to sort of ask himself, where is the Holy Spirit in this person's life? Let me follow their lead. Let's discover together what God's already been doing with them that has brought us together. We have a ministry that does that already. The Stephen Ministry teaches us to do that. If you've taken some Stephen ministry, or if you are a Stephen minister, then you know that part of what the invitation is is to simply ask open-ended questions so they can hear the Spirit's themes in their own life. So you follow the prompts. You, you, you maybe initiate in a way that feels awkward. You stand in a place that feels maybe socially out of bounds for human culture. And you wait to see, not just what the Spirit's doing with you, but with the other. And then what happens in the story is Philip gets called up. It's like, well, why don't you come on up here and help me? Let's walk for a while. Thank you for showing this kind of, of interest. Let's see if we can do some spiritual work together. Follow the prompt. Follow the lead. Oftentimes, the Spirit is not wanting you to say the thing that's going to argue someone into the kingdom. Because God and the church are primarily, and first, they're relational. So a ministry is invited for us to simply walk with pace with the people that God puts right in front of our path. Do you have people in your life that cross your path that are on a spiritual journey? Friends, the answer is yes. Every single one of them. And what's your job? Just walk alongside them and ask them open-ended questions. Follow the prompt. Follow the lead of the person that God puts in front of you. And then finally, follow through. Follow through. And can I just say, this is often the hardest thing. Maybe even harder than the social awkwardness at the front end. Philip is with the Ethiopian for a time. We don't know how long. doesn't say. Could have been minutes, could have been hours, could have been days. It doesn't really exactly tell us. What we know is this, is he is the one who keeps the conversation spiritual. He walks this Ethiopian through the hope of the gospel. That from this passage in Isaiah, start taking his lead this is what you need to know about the character and person of God and His Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we're not very good at that. 
If the Holy Spirit has put someone in your path, and you've asked some questions where you're starting to build a relationship, don't be afraid to keep the conversation spiritual. Oftentimes, like I did with uh, these teenage smokers, we just sort of assume just standing there is going to be enough. How many of you have someone in your life that you've known for 5, 10, 32 years, and you've never yet had a spiritual conversation with them, and they don't know Christ? Because you're kind of just hoping eventually they'll, they'll find out you wake up early to come to church at 9.15. I think it describes everyone. It describes me. I know pastors who, when people ask what they do, they say, oh, I'm a teacher. Because they don't want to have the spiritual conversation. And what we see here is Philip actually having the boldness and the the bravery and the willingness to assume that the Holy Spirit has prompted him. And the Holy Spirit's been working in that person, too, And we're going to find it out together. We're going to have some sort of a conversation. We're going to have a dialogue about it. Is there someone in your life you've been walking with for a long time and you've never had this spiritual moment? You're just kind of afraid. You don't really want to do it. It, kind of, it feels like it, it might break some sort of a barrier. You're, you're afraid. Okay, I have, I have a, um, some advice for you. You might want to write it down, but it's only two words. Are you ready? Stop it. You have the living God working in you and through you. Take the bold step. It's not your step, it's the Holy Spirit's. Find some way to have the conversations that actually are why God put the two of you together. Finally, on that follow-through, when we get to have these conversations, almost always, frankly, there's some sort of moment when there's a next step. The Ethiopian says, hey, there's some water. Why shouldn't I get baptized? What's keeping me from that? And you know what Philip says? Well, probably nothing, but why don't you ask the next guy? No. He says, nothing. What he does instead is he, he literally just goes into the water with the Ethiopian. They take the next step together. They walk all the way through. He follows through all the way to this spot where this, this person's in a new part of their spiritual journey. Now, we might not always be baptizing people. That's not always the way it works out. But when someone is ready to take that next step, Have you been getting them ready? And are you willing to go with them? Follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Follow the lead of what the Spirit is doing in that person's life. And then follow through. Be a spiritual person. Take the next step with them. Be a trusted person 
in that journey. There's lots of ways, friends, that this can look like. And as we come to a close here, I just want to share just, uh, just one of them as a story. So, uh, just in a couple minutes here, at the, uh, right before the benediction, we will welcome and commission some new covenant partners, some new members of our church. And as part of that process, they have to write a, um, a, a testimony. This is who I am in Christ, and this is what's happened. And uh, this person shares this really extraordinary story. I want to I read it to you because it also includes my favorite person. This person writes in her testimony, Life was a struggle. She says, I was, I was living on a sad little island full of self-pity and loneliness. What was I thinking when I agreed to move here, she writes. Then one day, as I was picking Gavin up from school, her son, I was standing outside of Gavin's first grade classroom and another mom introduced herself. Hi, I'm Amy Hansen, she said. My daughter's Johanna. Heard you guys just moved here from California? She asked if we had any family or friends in the area, and we chatted for a few minutes. It was in that moment that Amy, a mother of four, saw the book of sadness and loneliness that so many moms carry around every day. And she asked if I'd ever heard of mops at First Press Boulder. Although I was unfamiliar with mops, I was so desperate for a human interaction. I was willing to give it a shot. I stepped so far outside in my comfort zone and went to the first meeting without knowing a single soul. Friend, do you hear the pattern? The Holy Spirit's doing something in this woman's life, and it feels like loneliness and deep need. Self-pity, she says. And at just the right time, she runs in to this beautiful woman named Amy Hansen. And the Holy Spirit is also doing something in her life in that moment. And they pause and they talk and they have this brief interaction where this woman is reminded that loneliness and self-pity are not the only way to live life, even in the isolating reality of having preschoolers. And Amy says, well, why don't you just take the next step? What if you try going to mops? That woman now has community, a church, a grounded sense of God's pleasure in her life. Through a simple three-minute Philip and the Ethiopian kind of interaction outside of a classroom. Friends, that's what it's like to be in ministry with the Holy Spirit. To follow his promptings. To take the lead of the other and to follow through. But it starts with you seeking to travel where the Holy Spirit pulls you. Like me, wanting to go visit uh, this place where my great-grandfather was. That's a very human interaction, very human sort of desire. A very human spiritual desire is that you would want to go where the Holy Spirit is. 
to follow his prompt, to put yourself in the path of what God has in store for you. Are you ready? You're about to go out and do it. It's going to happen in all kinds of crazy places. Maybe with someone here over coffee. Maybe at the grocery store. Maybe in your neighborhoods. But look, the Spirit is alive and active. He wants you to be part of it. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for these men and women and children who are in this room right now. Lord, I pray that they would be truly, beautifully in the Spirit. That as they walk and live this week, that they would follow your prompting. That they would hear your invitation. They would take the risk. They would follow through. We thank you in the strong name of Christ. Among God's people said,